In this episode, we speak to New York Times bestselling author and National Book Award finalist, E.B. Zaboy, about her recently released biography, Star Child, a biological constellation of Octavia Butler. This stunning and imaginative story tells the life of a young Octavia, learning to dream beyond the stars to create stories where Black people live in futuristic worlds. Evie Zaboy's book marries prose and poetry to tell the extraordinary life of a writer whose gift for the written word was present at a young age of 10. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Stay with us for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another podcast with the Vulgar Geniuses. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we have um, an award-winning writer in our midst to talk about a beautiful book. Um, we have writer Evie Zaboy. She was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and holds an MFA in writing for children and young adults from Vermont College in, of Fine Arts. Her YA novel, American Street, was a National Book Award finalist, and her debut middle grade novel, My Life as an Ice Cream Sandwich, was a New York Times bestseller. She is the author of Pride, a contemporary YA remix of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and editor of the anthology Black Enough, Stories of Being Young and Black in America. Her most recent bestseller, Punching the Air, is a YA novel in verse, co-authored by prison reform activist Yusuf Salam of the Exonerated Five. Raised in New York City, E.B. now lives in New Jersey with her husband and their three children. And we have her on the show today to talk about her wonderful um, new book called Star Child, a biological constellation of Octavia Estelle Butler. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you for that warm introduction. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. We are so excited to be able to talk about your newest uh, baby that's out there in the mm. world. Um, but before we get started, because you are a YA author, we do a special thing with you all every time we have a special guest. And I passed it on over to Denny, where we ask some some awesome deep questions. <laughs> so just Love. to, to kind of start off the show, um, you know, to kind of warm up. Um, we ask you this like five trivial questions that you know we we may or may not be really interested, but I think this is this is one of my favorites because it's it's like we we would know our authors a lot more. So, question number one: What is your most favorite food that you would serve during Kwanzaa? Oh, Kwanzaa! Hmm, fried sweet plantains. Oh, I want to invite. Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> That was easy. <laughs> is there any, is there something you'd wish you could tell Octavia Butler now that you haven't told her before? Hmm. I wish she would come to Africa with me. <laughs> uh, that would be a nice trip. Yeah. That would be a nice trip. What was the, le- the latest thing, creation that you have sewed? Oh wow, you you did your research. <laughs> um the edges of a head wrap. <laughs> um, so like you know, when you cut the fabric and the little frays are still there, I hemmed it. I hemmed a piece of fabric to create a head wrap. Not this one, but that is the last thing I did on my sewing machine, which is right there. Yep. Your okay. outfits are fire. Oh, oh. thank thank you, my little nerdy. My little nerdy colorful outfit. <laughs> yes, I, I love it. I'm like, I want that two piece set, please. <laughs> does it does it come does it also come in orange? 
Yeah, it does. I have a lot of colors in my wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) So we are back in 2017. You were in the National Book Awards as a finalist for your book, American Street. What was the most memorable thing that happened that day for you? You know, I I don't think there's any one memorable thing. Um, My mom was there, which was nice, but it was just getting dressed up. You know, I don't, I, I, people think this is dressing up, but I was in heels, you know, which is a very rare thing. And I had my little clutch. Uh, So it was a big deal for me uh, because um, for years I was a stay at home mom, you know, rocking t-shirts and sweats and just be, you know, it it can be gross and raising babies. And it was just after all that work, it was just nice to be honored in that way and to get dressed up and have my mother come and see me being honored that way. It was fancy. My mother's very fancy. So it was nice to have an event that was fancy that she could be like, okay, okay. Um, Because she's an immigrant and, you know, being an immigrant, the child of an immigrant and to be an artist is hard. So it was like, you know, because Bill Clinton was there and she knows Bill Clinton. Like, wait a minute. So this is real? This is legitimate? Um, so that was nice. Just the whole day was very nice. I, I feel that struggle, like bringing my mom to like an <laughs> event because like your immigrant child has made it. Yes. Yeah. I feel that like to the core because it's like, look, mom, we made it. <laughs> They're yeah. getting this fancy stuff to eat. There's yeah. people around. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was the stamp. That was the validation for me, um, like that my mother could relate to. Mm. And last but not the least, what does Evie Zaboy do when she's not writing or sewing? M- mothering. Mothering. I'm a smother. Uh, uh, I'm a cancer, which is the mother of the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. So I am cooking. I am picking up after my kids, even though I yell at them to pick up after themselves, but I end up doing it anyway. I am, I am a domestic. Uh, I love being at home and doing home stuff. I'm very homely, very, very homely. So I'm a mom and, um, just, it seems like anti-feminist, but that is my feminism. My feminism is I that my home base is my corporation and I'm CEO, you know, I'm HBIC, you know. All <laughs> See, I, I want to be here when I grow up. I'm also a mom, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Libra. I'm a Libra mom. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're free and we're all of this. When you come to my house, you're probably going to be like, what is this doing right here? What is, what is, what is that? But yeah. yes, that, that's also what I do when I'm not doing this mothering. And my yeah. favorite cousin is a cancer and she, she, she doesn't have any children as of yet, but she is tapped into that being at home. Like if she's mm-hmm. not teaching, you can mm-hmm. buy her at home, cooking, doing yeah. all that, all of that stuff. And they're very sensitive, very caring people so very sensitive a homebody sensitive I'm I'm crying that's another thing I'm doing I'm probably crying (laughs) probably crying I'm I'm not kidding like last night I stayed up way too late watching um Married at First Sight you know (laughs) oh the newest one no I like to watch old seasons too like I, I I just need to catch up so I was catching up on the last season and I love when they meet for the and you're like oh my god (laughs) you know I'm like I'm crying my kids are like what is wrong I'm like it's love (laughs) so I know we're not talking about books but (laughs) it is a part of who I am and what I bring to my writing everything that I do when I'm not writing so thank you for asking that Mm -hmm. so now we are talking about your writing um can you tell us you know and the people that are listening a brief brief like introduction to star child so star child is exactly what the subtitle suggests it is a biography of science fiction pioneer octavia estelle butler however this is for younger readers middle school and up and i decided to write for that age group because we get a glimpse into octavia's uh writing at age 10 
She wrote a legit novel at the age of 10 years old. And I saw it, it was pieces of loose, loose leaf taped together. And it was several pieces. I think there were 20 pages front and back of script in pencil. You could see her crossing things out and misspelling. And she she revised it and typed it. Uh, 10-year-olds right now, I'm sure there are 10-year-olds writing novels. And if there are, um, I want them to have access to this book because not only was Octavia 10, but the year was 1957. And what we know about Black children in 1957 is civil rights, um, you know, the Birmingham church bombings, everything having to do with the South and Black children dealing with race relationship, relations in the South. Um, We don't get a glimpse of Black children in New York City and different parts of the country. But Octavia was 10 years old in L.A., writing about magical horses and they weren't necessarily magic they were it's more it was more science fiction horses who got their superpowers from fallen stars so think about the kind of child she was at 10 years old to be writing that I mean she had dialogue and character arc and everything uh so we don't get the full story but we get the the page of her drawing illustrating her own novel And she stuck to that for her entire life. Mm -hmm. So if she wrote that at 10 years old, she was thinking about writing at probably eight, right? Because it takes you a while to actually do it. And for her entire life, she stuck to one dream and one dream only, and it paid off. So I want young people to see that sort of stick to itiveness and even adults to just read this as a primer for the context in which she grew up in, um, there's a lot of context and people might want to see her struggles as an adult. This is not the book for that. This is the book of the very beginnings that created the kind of mind that she was. And it's in verse in poetry because it was hard for me to capture the life of a mind, right? Usually biographies is people doing stuff throughout their life. This happened to them. They did this. They moved here and there. She was in her head. The enti- her entire life. Um, she was dreaming and thinking and her journals were not about like, you know, oh, this girl don't like me in high school or I kissed this boy. It was all about ideas. She was thinking about the world. Like, what does it, what does this all mean in context in relation to the universe? <laughs> she wasn't thinking about LA. She wasn't th- even thinking about the country or the world. She was thinking about planets <laughs> yeah. at a very young age. Yeah, she's like her mind was like when you said that she's in her mind, like I like I completely believe that because you would see like in in those like you know, like the artifacts, I would call them that was in the book I was like this is so amazing because like what 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 am I doing when I was saying rolling down a hill somewhere in the <laughs> Philippines and, you know I, I was like you couldn't find me writing those words and having those ideas and the ideas were beyond her like I think right. beyond beyond adults like mm-hmm. she was really thinking about the universe stars constellations right and to me I think that was the most fascinating thing is that she was able to, you know, just seeing seeing that tangible thing that, oh, it can happen. It can happen for, you know, for, for children, for children of color, that we can have these big dreams and it can become like a full-fledged career. Mm-hmm. You can be, mm-hmm. you can be known for it. You could be not really the, the, not really being famous, but you can be validated, validated for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was reading this book, I really wish that you were around when I was younger because I'm obsessed with science fiction and speculative fiction. So when I was reading this, I literally transported myself. What if I was 10 years old and I was reading this book? So, you know, like you said, my this is not only just for children, also for adults. So my adult, my adult heart was very delighted that, you know, the wheel, the weird children like myself had a had a book to geek out and nerd out with um it is a very to me it's a very very powerful tool to inspire children that they can be more than what the world is really trying to tell them Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. 
what it is like knowing that this piece of art that you've created have such a big impact in the world where children of color exist? Uh, you know, I don't think of, of work, any of my work having a big impact. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, by big impact, I'm thinking of it being out in the world and I don't know whose lives are changed by it. Of course, sometimes people email me and send me things and, or tag me in something and let me know how much they love something or how much they connect to it. Um, however, it is part of a body of work that I'm creating and I don't know what the impact is. I, I'm still in the thick of it, of creating stuff. And I don't know if any one book has an impact. I am glad that it's out there. To me, I can only see the process of like get doing the work, writing the book, editing it, it getting a cover and the publisher sending it out there and the people who do tag me. But I can't think that way in terms of, wow, my book is making an impact. I don't know. It changed me. It, uh, to, for me to do so, this sort of deep dive into her mind, n none of the, like most of the stuff I found out about her made its way into, did not make its way into this book. Um, we cannot use everything. So doing a deep dive into her papers validated me in terms of like, wow, I have these kinds of thoughts and I just never had an outlet for it because I grew up in a different time. So the impact is on my end, first and foremost. And once it leaves my hand, my realm of understanding and that realm of understanding is, I don't know. I, I might know how many people bought a book. I don't know how many people borrowed it or read it, or I don't know what the impact is. I just know the change that it has done for me as the creator of this content. Um, when constructing this book, did you know right away that you wanted to intertwine her biography with poetry or was this idea one that like kind of just revealed itself to you later on? Because I know you talked about how much, uh, how expansive all of her information was and how um, you wanted to, you know, do something different with the book. But did you know, like immediately you knew like it had to be intertwined with poetry? No, this was supposed to be a picture book for young, for young children. You know, when um, there are a lot of picture book biographies uh, just to introduce children to, you know, historical figures. So this was like one long poem about who she was as a little child. And there were some editors who said, maybe I think it was one who wanted me to expand it and add more to it because it just didn't, didn't go deep enough or it was too abstract. And I was going to rely heavily on the illustrations, on just a, a child thinking about the universe. But I'm glad that that person suggested to expand it. And I was like, okay, I can do it in a series of poems because I've seen other books do that. But it was like, what do I write about? You know, other than what, what am I doing? <laughs> so I decided to just like, wait, this is why she is who she was. You can be born with certain talents, but the environment that you grew up in, you know, are, are, is part of that, but all the things that make you who you are. So not only was she already an inquisitive child, but she grew up during the space race. Uh, she grew up during the Red Scare and all these conversations about Mars. And I wonder what child she would be if she were born 30 years later, as I was. Um, what would she be observing about the world? And would she be reading? She would not be writing the same types of science fiction stories uh, because this is a different world. I think she definitely would have been writing speculative fiction, but she would, she, her writing was because of the world she grew, uh, grew up in. And that this is where the poems came in. So that was the process of it making making it poems and digging into her letters to see what she was thinking and what and what she was actually doing um, from the time she was, you know, a child to when she published her first book. 
I know if if I were still teaching, if I had the opportunity, because I was a, a high school librarian, oh, and I know that this book is for middle written for middle grade, but it's if just all of that you what you've done with this book, especially when you're talking about the different uh, the multiple poetry devices in which you tell her story is something that I know could definitely be used within an English class in in high school and showing different ways on how to not only write a book or how to write a poem, but how you can intertwine those two things together. Um, it's 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 just remarkable and. For us, both of us, you know, hearing the name Octavia Butler mentioned is something that we hear, especially now, a lot more than you know, say ten years ago. And um, a confession that I made to uh, an earlier author that we had on was that I am not a well-read black girl. So hearing these names are somewhat new to me because the very first intro that I had to reading anybody that was a black writer was. Zora Neale Hurston when I was in high school about mm -hmm. to graduate and that was the very first time that I saw oh oh yeah we can write our own stories and that those stories can be centered around us so I'm just curious to you know the writing process is when you were writing your poems why did you decide that you wanted to dive into different uh, uh, devices in telling her story well she uh she, in her letters, um, in letters, what I mean, like journal entries, right? And a lot of them were loose, loose leaf paper. She was trying out, she was experimenting with what she wanted to write. She wrote about white men being drunk. She wrote about the hard, the thing that she did not like was ghost stories mm -hmm. and writing about women, damsels in distress and looking for a hot guy that this is her words exactly uh so I guess she didn't like romance in that way the sort of commercial romance and she was trying to publish so she thought she would could write about white men and in those instances I I did not see any any um writing from her about her being ho-hum about being a black woman writer. I can't get into the industry. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anything like that. So I needed to try different things out with poetry in order to model for young readers how you find your voice. You have to try different things. And here's a poet who's here's an acrostic poem. Here's a poem shaped in a star. Here's a haiku. And this is me trying to tell, find different ways to tell her particular story in the way that she was trying to find different ways to tell the stories that she wanted to tell. Hmm. I think I, I was really, you know, because I'm Asian. So I was like, oh my God, there's a haiku in here. And I'm like, maybe it's a boy, you're slowly killing me. My God, you're slowly killing me. Because I think I read the, your first poem in here, like Stardust, like probably like five times to the point. I think I also read it to like my two year old because he <laughs> loves to read books and to the, to the point that he would like memorize his like picture books. Nice. So I'm like, oh, let's let's, um, you know, he likes the moon. Now he's like obsessed with the moon <laughs> and like the faces of the moon. So I'm like, let's read about star, star child. And it's like mommy star and child like me. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Oh yes. So I was, you know, the 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 differences and of like the the poems and like how you used those words to explain it to children is I think what is most amazing to me. And I feel like Star Child is, you know, a love letter to Octavia Butler. And I feel like also to yourself, um, how much time or research did you do to to complete this book? And which, how did you decide um, which was most necessary to be part of the, you know, of the, the biography? Uh, so I decided to stretch it out. So the, there were essays, it was just going to be poems. And it was my editor who suggested that I'm, well, there were poems, but there were captions to the poems, right? You know how you caption a photo? I had captions, like footnotes for the poems. And it was my editor who suggested that those footnotes expand to be essays. And 
I decided to make it three parts, um, her journey, like her being born into a time and, and then to write about the in, actual environment that nurtured her. And that, that's part two and part three would be her journey to becoming a writer. So this is very short because it's hard to write about someone who did not do anything, how to write a book about somebody's creative journey and the management journey. Uh, so, oh, it took six years. It took six years only because I I wasn't working on it consistently. I had a hard time. Like you have to think of what the next poem is about, mm. which what a, I had a long, nice poem about Pasadena that got cut out because I thought writing about Pasadena was important because it's, and it was like historical, like acknowledging the the native, the indigenous people who lived in Pasadena. Uh, so it got edited out. Um, so it there, it didn't fit the arc of the story because you're finding out about the space race and civil rights movement and her family, and then it's Pasadena. So it though that one thing was taken out. I had to write about the space race. Uh, and I wrote a poem, which is two poems that kind of mirror each other. One is about space, one is about race. And you had these two ideas where people, Americans in general, were afraid of Russian invasion and a Martian invasion. They were in the middle of the Cold War. And then that's the American, that's white America, and then Black America. And, and the repeating phrase line in that poem is bombs in the sky. Mm-hmm. And then you have Black Americans afraid of white terrorism. And this is the civil rights movement in the 60s. And that the repeating line in that poem is bombs on the ground. And I liked writing that poem just to like see the different things I can change for each line. They're both saying the same thing, but indifferent from a different perspective so this was her world this was her world you have white america on america black people were probably afraid of russian invasion and white terrorism (laughs) (laughs) coming from all sides (laughs) right but we're gonna get it we're gonna get you know um and probably were like i wonder if there were black people who were just scared of martians too because that was the propaganda um the red scare was also the red planet um and you had sci-fi um the metaphor for those sci-fi stories the metaphor for martian invasion was a metaphor for russian invasion uh and i wonder if black people connected those things it's like you afraid of you know these sorts of um racial terrors and then I wonder if there were Black people or anybody who's written about being Black in the middle of the civil rights movement and the Cold War, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was her world. And I wondered, and she taught about, she thought about those two things. If there's any one historical fi- figure where those two ideas collide, it's Octavia Butler. How involved was her estate in in? you writing this story? So we had to get permission. We had to get permission to use the documents and get permission for the overall biography. So it's not necessarily, I don't know if that's what they called authorized, but we had to get permission to use photos and to use the quotes. Um, So they gave us our blessing, um, thankfully, but it is a chore. because I, I don't know who is really behind it, um, but I think there's probably a family member um, whose full-time job it is to preserve um, her estate. The most powerful parts of the book, I feel, are the photocopied excerpts, which we talked about earlier, of her writing when she was young, particularly her manifestations Uh, when choosing things from her archives to include in the book, why did you feel that this admission was necessary in her life's work? Uh, So with the help of my editor, I mean, I must have had 100 
documents, but it, it's, it's not all just her work. Like at, there's a picture of a cover of a book, old book called Fun with Dick and Jane. And, and kids need to know that this is how kids used to learn to read, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what you look like, this was the first book that you learned to read. Fun with Dick and Jane and their dog Spot. Uh, so there are still there are elders uh, who first started reading. This was a primer. This was called you know something you read in in the first grade. Um, so that's included in there. Uh, a picture of an old magazine um, where um, it's sci-fi magazine. So it's not just her quotes, it's some photographs and then to contextualize her life. Uh, So yeah, it was, oh, there's a note that she wrote in high school. She wrote it to a teacher asking about the writing workshop. She was asking about getting help for her writing, writing classes and letting this teacher know this is what time she gets out. She can try to make it. This is her in high school. Um, having agency over her her life and what it what she wanted to do. Yeah, I I really like those um, those particular inserts within her story, especially when she's talking about how when she grows older that she is going to be a best selling author. Like she mm-hmm. she knew it. Like this is what I'm calling for for myself. This is who I want to be, and that is who she became. And just seeing her due diligence of like working towards what she wanted to be um, was huge. Um, The concept to view her work in this manner of consolation retelling of Butler's life was done in such a precise manner and her treatment um, during her younger years shaped so much of what she was to become. Unfortunately, it was a lot at the hands of teachers and family members that she found greater resistance in her ability to have her creativity nurtured. Uh, for educators who will be reading this book, what do you feel is the message that you really want them to take away um, after after reading Star Child? So yeah, she there are um, some notes from teachers, her report card saying um, that she's slow, uh, that she is constantly daydreaming, and her stories, her writing is not grounded in reality. Uh, and lo and behold, she becomes a geni- uh, MacArthur Genius Grant awardee. Uh, she becomes a genius. She she was a genius, and and I don't use that word genius lightly. Uh, to be a genius and to be called a genius is like a heavy crown to bear. Um, it is a lonely process, and not you don't come out and do your art and automatically people notice your genius. I don't think those are the true geniuses. <laughs> the true geniuses are the ones that take time to be discovered. And it's a slow realization that you're like, oh, wait a minute, you know? Um, so for her, it was a slow realization because to be a genius is when you first put out your work, not everybody's going to recognize it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And that makes you ahead of your time. Uh, so at an elementary school, she was ahead of her time. She was both of her time and ahead of her time. She was of her time because she was writing science fiction and she was inspired by the science fiction movies and little magazines that she was reading but she was ahead of her time during the civil rights movement, thinking about and starting to write herself into those speculative fiction stories. Uh, so in that sense, people are not gonna immediately say that's genius. They're only gonna say like, well, you're not gonna sell that. That's not, that's not going to sell, that's not going anywhere. Or why are you writing about black people in space when there are some real things happening right here on earth? Mm-hmm. So her ingenuity is not initially recognized, not even through the first book or, you know, the first, the several books, but at some point people got to look at her body of work in hindsight and see her innovation and ingenuity over time. So of course, they're not going to see that in element in the elementary school level. And the lesson for teachers is to be open-minded you know, it's to nurture creativity. 
And, you know, it's not just the teachers, it's the school environment. I'm for progressive schools that see children as creators first and foremost, and not little sponges, you right, to be shaped and molded. And that all has to do with that particular school's environment and the home life, the home culture of that child. So you and Octavia Butler have the same birthday. Mm-hmm. Like, and you guys both, you were in a car together. Right. <laughs> that picture, and that picture of you and her, you had this glow in you. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's right here. <laughs> what, what was that conversation in the car? And just knowing that, you know, that we are 30 years apart, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we share the same star sign. <laughs> <laughs> how, yeah. how do you feel to, to, you know, just, just meet her or like, cause sometimes, you know, we like her favorite author is Orania Hurston, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we, we don't, we don't get a chance to always meet our favorite. Right, right you met her and now you are you wrote about her and you want other people to know her greatness like how was that kind of like journey for you to like knowing her and now like publishing her story and also did you drive really really slow that day to get her to where she had to go yeah you know i so i did not become obsessed with her when i found out we share the same birthday i read her first her um, not her first book I read I first read Parable of the Talents and then I picked up Parable of the Sower which was which came before it and I was blown away and I'm like who is this woman I felt like I already knew who was who I knew Toni Morrison and Toni Morrison was still Alice Walker um and this was my second when I finally read her a few years ago, it was a teacher who told me that I should read her. And that teacher had uh, given me money to go to a writer's conference in New York City. And she gave me an Octavia Butler book. I don't know which one it was. I don't remember. She was like, you have to get Octavia Butler to sign this. That is the one assignment. that I'll... So I met Octavia Butler years ago. She signed the book and that was it. I didn't know who she was and what she read. But it was three years later after that, that I read those two books and I looked her up. This was early internet. I don't know how, maybe I looked her up through yahoo.com or something, right? Or AOL. (laughs) And I found a biography of her. And I don't know, I don't remember whether it was a phone book or something else, but I looked up her number and called her. Um, So something drove me to look up her biography. And because this was early internet, it's not immediately at your hands. I had to like go to the little like computer lab in my school <laughs> and do the log on and wait for that little AOL music to come on. <laughs> Did and you it was a floppy disk? Right. Yes. <laughs> Saying all that to say it was a process to go and look up someone back then. Um, and I'm in college. Um, I'm in my early 40s now. So when I say 20 years ago, I want people to think that. (laughs) Um, But I wasn't a child. So I looked her up. And when I saw that we share the same birthday, I was like, I got to call her up. (laughs) So and it was easy to call her up. Hello. Hi. I didn't tell her we have the same birthday. And she picked up. She picked up. She's a hermit. Of course, she was home. And she picked up. And, and then I found out maybe a year later that she was going to come and come to a bookstore in New York city. I went to see her. I waited, you know, how you wait after to like everybody asks their questions and you just like hang back. And I waited, she signed my book and I was leaving and I saw she would be waiting at the curb with a friend and I'm like, Hey, where are you going? She said she's going to Manhattan. I'm going that way too. I wasn't, I was going the opposite direction. And there she is in my car. And I say that, and like, I wasn't necessarily starstruck. It's not in like a Hollywood sort of way. It was, I want to meld with your mind, right? (laughs) I want to write what you write, not how, like, I want to write that same way how did you do it? 
and we have the same birthday. So I think there's something in common there. So the commonality is not in what we write, it's how we think about the world. I think that is like a very Gemini cancer cusp thing where you're deeply emotional and incredibly cerebral. Um, so I, I process the way that she was processing on the page. It looked very familiar to me. Uh, so saying all that to say, um, yeah, I met her, I studied with her, but because it was a, a 20 years ago, she was very accessible in a way that some authors are accessible online, but may, may not be in real life. Hmm. So we, you know, we, we love your books. We love that you are writing, or should we say rewriting history so everybody can be fully aware of the real accounts in the past. Mm -hmm. We adore it even more because you make it understandable for children. In your picture book, The People Remember, mm -hmm. you told um, the journey of African descendants in America by connecting their history to the seven principles of Kwanzaa. Um, this was accompanied by the beautiful illustrations by Lovis Weiss. Um, can you speak a little bit about how this project and collaboration came about? Thank you. And, you know, you see my books are all over the place, right? <laughs> there are, you know, there are connecting threads. There are connecting threads because in one of the papers, and I posted it on my Instagram, Octavia was writing about the Black people, the Blacks, <laughs> not the same. I say it like that because she was constantly talking about the Panthers and some of the Black kids that she knew. So because she was in LA, she knew the founders of the US organization. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what US stands for, but the founders of the US organizations were the one who first created Kwanzaa. So she mentions them by name in her papers and because she was right. So she knew them and was she went to school with one of the co-founders of Kwanzaa. <laughs> um, so there's a connection there. So I celebrated Kwanzaa um, in college and I celebrate it with my family. It's like an alternative holiday. It's something that we do that is um, connects us to just something bigger and broader than Christmas. We're not like, we're artsy and we're African-centered, African-centered meaning like it makes sense for us. Um, we, there are certain things we don't forget like DNA memory is really a big part of who I am and who my partner is. So we wanted to pass that on to our children. And Kwanzaa is one of those cultural celebrations that acknowledge that acknowledges who we are as a people in this country. But I did not see any books that really, really capture what it does, what it is. There's a Kwanzaa rabbit book and there's another book, Seven Spools of Thread. But I, we just needed like an update. <laughs> it's a Kwanzaa. <laughs> and um, I wrote a long epic poem just uh, capturing 400 years of history for African descent in America. And for me as a Haitian immigrant, I identify with Black American culture because this is where I've spent all of my life, basically. I know Haitian culture and Haitian history, but for me to go into Haitian history and call, I usually, it's usually white people writing about Haiti. Mm -hmm. um, I am going to write about Haiti in a similar way. So I wanted there to be a Kwanzaa book out there for my children's sake. And um, it got a big special award and people are happy that it's out there. So I'm really proud of it. And love is their illustrations just really, really captured what the words are trying to convey. And they did a, a, an amazing job. So you talked about your family being um, African-centered. So mm -hmm. in 2013, Ebony Magazine mm -hmm. named your family one of the coolest Ooh, families in the United States. And you are one of the coolest families <laughs> Let me tell you that they are not wrong. 
And and in the article, you you stated that the most challenging part about marriage is trying to figure out what type of family you all want it to be. And after nine years that have passed since this article came out, have you and your partner been able to come closer to the definition of what what you all wanted to be for as a family? Thank well, well, first of all, thank you for digging and finding that article. Um, and thank, that's a great, great question. So um, I've been married for uh, 21 years and I changed my name. Uh, my husband dropped his last name and made one of his middle names, which is an Afri- West African name, our last name. And three children, almost back to back. So now the only way we can know whether or not we've succeeded in building, creating the family that we wanted is through our children. Mm -hmm. They reflect back to us. So right now I have a 1970, we have 1917 and 14 year olds. Mm -hmm. And I think we did a good job because the way we can see it is through their aesthetic and how they choose to adorn themselves and present themselves to the world. So my, both my daughters are really Afro-Bohemian hippie girls. Um, You know, they don't like, you know, they don't like fake hair or anything like that. My daughter is growing locks. Um, They like their little copper jewelry with their little stones. And my daughter is all into stones, her fancy rocks. Um, So... (laughs) They are, and she collects, they're all over the room. Um, So I wanted to raise those sorts of alternative Black kids. We're working on my son. Um, It's harder for boys. Um, I think later on, he's going to find his own way of being in this world. But right now, they kind of want to fit in. So even for my son, I'm trying to like find hoodies that say something for him, right? (laughs) Like they got to say something, they got to be about something. Um, He wanted like a fitted and I'm just like, let's find one with a a silhouette of Africa on it. And he's like, ma. (laughs) 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 Um, So it's, so yes, we have succeeded and it's just not that superficial is ideologically too, but I know for teenagers, it's expressed superficially at first, right? Mm -hmm. It lets their peers know like, I'm not like that, you know, or (laughs) I'm not into that. So my daughter is all about the third eye, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that I like the kids that they grew, meaning we, we did something right. And now is where I hope they stay along that path and it's to constantly a mirror for, for them, who they want to do as I do, as I do, you know? Um, and even with social media, some, I, like, I started hiding my likes on my Instagram in order to model for them that they could participate in very healthy ways. Um, not very, but you don't, you can share things without having to look for that sort of validation and not letting other people see that validation in order to just kind of just mitigate how people will feel. Oh, all those, all those things you're, you are sharing, you are sharing parts of your life, um, not flaunting, you know, all of those things. So while we are African centered, we know that they are still part of a future world that we can't even imagine. So I'm not going to be like, don't support these corporate structures that don't even like you, right? (laughs) I could be that parent, but I'm like, okay, make it work for you in very healthy, emotionally healthy ways that are, that don't, are not a detriment to your mental health um, and are not uh, a detriment to the relationships that you care about. So it's not just cultural, it is um, how to navigate this new world um, that they be that they are a part of and that is changing at light speed. So there's still things I want to tell them and talk to them about. I want to tell them to avoid the megaverse at all costs, but it might be unavoidable 
So how do I talk to them about hold on to your humanity, right? Right. And holding on to your humanity means holding on to your culture Mm -hmm. and honoring ancestors. So whatever happens in in the world, because capitalism is a hungry beast, they have to honor their ancestors and remember the ways in which they lived, stay close to the ground, stay close to the elements always. I'm a real hippie. And I, and I am living for it because, you know, like it's one thing to be, to be uprooted from where you were from, like, you know, coming through this country, looking for whatever my, my parents think we needed at at that point of our lives. So hearing somebody talk about it and somebody that has children that are a little bit bigger than mine gives me real hope and inspiration that, you know, maybe I could make it too, because it is. (laughs) It is hard. It is hard staying, like you said, being close to your culture, your ancestors, being close to the ground and knowing where you come from. So even though that the world is changing lightning speed, it's always a parent's struggle to be like, look, this is where you've come. You've came from. You're an American, but your parents are Filipino and Chinese. Like Mm -hmm. it is it is we have a whole other world, a whole other learning that you need to be aware of and a whole other like custom and just like the values that you teach them. You know, at some point you'll see them being reflected back to you. And I think that is the most gratifying thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I heard that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And even without children, if you don't have children, it is like your daily life too, you know. Um, some people, you know, it's not for everybody, you know, some people like, nope, here to get the bag and the bag only. I'm here (laughs) for all the power. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me in order, like there can be some real mental health, um, issues that come along with, uh, trying to navigate a world that wasn't created for you or by you. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's the, what keeps me grounded is like, you gonna see me in this head wrap, you know? <laughs> you gonna <laughs> on your mama or not? You gonna see? Me. <laughs> but it's, it's part of me is adorning myself and reminding not just other people, but I gotta like keep it like ethnic all the time. And I feel like the more microaggressions I experience in the publishing world or in the world in general. I turn up the ethnicity a notch in order to say, I'm not trying to look like you. I'm not trying to be like you. I hate that statement. Just like walk into a room like a mediocre white man. Never. Don't do that. (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's not your ministry. (laughs) White man. Do you know the like amount of insecurities that come with that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to want, certain things that a mediocre white man would ask for stems from insecurities and feeling a uh this sort of you know um like they deserve everything yes we deserve the best but that is nothing like anything a mediocre white man would want so yeah it's um really sinking into who you are as a person and connecting culturally to those who come before you so as we come to the end of our our conversation we always ask every author who comes to visit us our most uh, important question and that is we want to know what your top five favorite books are of all time or uh, the top five books that you are most excited or anticipating coming out this this year or next year oh man I wish I knew what the books were that are coming out um so I'm not, I'm going to go with what they are, what the type five have been from recent to like, not so recent. My two most favorite, but very recent last year, Me Moth by Amber McBride. Love that book. I mean, that clutched my heart. Um, a Sort of like a textbook, which I think is so, so, so vitally important Revolution in Our Time by Tekla Magoon. Um, I'll jump to my favorite book of all time. It's a book that maybe maybe not a lot of people have heard of. It's called 2000 Seasons 
by Aikwe Ama, which was published in the 70s. And he's a Ghanaian author. And he kind of, the book is about what happened to us? What happened to Black people? Like, where did it all go wrong, right? How did how did they manage to do that to us, right? And displace all of us. And it's not, his, it's not like a nonfiction. It's uh, charting the journey of a group of teens who are about to do their rites of passage, but they get captured by enslavers and it's their journey. And one girl knew what was happening all along, but she went along because these are her brothers and sisters. So it's just telling like, here is what happened. And here is what we must do. There's another book called Indaba, My Children, which is African folk tales. This is part of me grounding myself in history and culture. It's, it says African folk tales, but it's deep, deep cosmology of Zulu people, the Zulus, and their mythology. I love mythology and not necessarily the mythology of like Greek or Roman, it's cosmology. And the difference for me is mythology that is applied on a daily basis. Um, that's the difference between like how some Europeans, like, you know, will say Greek and Roman mythology. That's how, they, that's what they believed back then, but we're evolved. We're civilized now, but a lot of people of color still live according to their mythologies and their cosmologies. So the zoo, this is like a 700 page book just an epic history of the Zulu people um, and all like the drama (laughs) of how they became to be. And my other favorite book is Wild Seed by Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, I could have listed all five, like five of Octavia Butler's books. I do love Parable of the Talents, but Wild Seed is my ultimate favorite. And it is at, I think it's at number one. (laughs) Um, when you were talking about your your second to the last book that you were mentioning about the Zulu people and the mythology, it, it makes me think about a conversation that we had uh, with Ayana Gray when she was on. She wrote Beasts of Prey. And prior to our conversation, Denny and I had watched a series called Tresse that is uh, it's an animated series that deals with um, like ghost stories in the Philippines that okay. are known throughout the country mm-hmm. and after reading beasts of prey and just having this moment of you know as a black woman born here uh with descendants of enslaved people not being able to pinpoint from where my origin and having those stories passed down it it is a thing that was stolen from us and that there is work that has to be done in order for me to even find that connection too so knowing that this book exists and to being able to say okay you can go back and you can go and and ground yourself in those spaces that you feel you are most connected to that you can say this is 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 mine as well is a is a huge thing and what your work is showing us is not only can you go to your past and you can look back and ground yourself there but you can also look to the future mm-hmm. and a place where people are dead set in making sure that Black folk are not present in and really say, we will be there. We are that. We talked to an author at the beginning of the year and, and he made one of the most profound statements that will stay with me and saying that we are the avant-garde before there was avant-garde. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have this book, Star Child, and all of the other pieces that you have written out into the world, you might not know your impact now but for us your impact is great and we want to say thank you thank you for talking with us thank you for writing this book and we cannot wait to see what else comes for you in the future thank you so much this was such a lovely conversation and I know when I'm comfortable when I like go deep and do my hippie hippie talks (laughs) I'm really comfortable um so thank you for allowing the space I love um, talking to women of color. Um, It opens me up in a way that I don't usually. So please keep doing what you do. And um, I can't wait to listen to who else you have on your show. Awesome. Thank you. You you too. Please, please keep doing what you're doing because you're doing us all a favor. You know, my my son would need your books. Thank you. 
up until, or if I would choose to have more children, <laughs> you know, you would be one of, you would, you are one of the authors that I'm, I'm looking forward to your work. And, you know, if I may plug your, um, you know, you have it, you have also a new book coming on March 22nd. Yes. COVID to the people. Yes, um, Black Panther uh, novel. I gotta tell people that it's coming out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. She is part of the Marvel universe, y'all. You know, FYI. So yes, she she wrote about a COVID. So you know, she's wrote it about the great. She is writing the most beautiful stories. So please, you know, come and show up for Eb Zaboy, y'all. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. I was about to say evening. Thank you so much. Vulgar <laughs> Genius. That is such a great title. Oh, we got it from a Wu-Tang Clan name generator. Mm-hmm. Like Childish Gambino. <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Have a great Bye. day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast and listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.